Okay, welcome in to Friends from Work. This is a podcast where Kyle talks about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Robbie talks about Thor Dark World and Agent Coulson. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back. All it's right. a really big day for Robbie today. You know why? Because we're finally going to talk about Thor Dark World. The number one feel? movie on my Marvel movie ranking. <laughs> <laughs> I really went for the jugular there. You did. Uh, you know, I feel fantastic. This this day has been a long time coming. No doubt. But before we get into that, I do have one leftover from our last rewatch episode. Uh, when we were talking about the Avengers, we talked about the introductions of each of the Avengers and kind of the foundations that were laid, but we really didn't talk about Hawkeye at all, which kind of makes sense because we don't get a ton of Hawkeye, but what I think is kind of impressive is that even though that's the case, I feel like by the time we get to that final battle, I still like the character of Hawkeye a lot. Um, And there are some fun lines, and I just think that that's something that we should give Joss Whedon some kind of credit for. No doubt. So speaking of Hawkeye, (laughs) Ravi, I have a story I just want to share with the audience, okay? Oh man, okay. Well, let me start by saying this. Obviously, you guys all know that I'm a massive Marvel fan at this point. But <laughs> I think it was two or three what two or three years ago, I was at a Super Bowl party in Houston. Um, long story, but I was there in kind of a VIP area. I had a friend of a friend who knew Vince Vaughn, so I actually got a chance <laughs> to meet Vince Vaughn, and I was having like a 15 minute real conversation with Vince Vaughn, and I was geeking out. <laughs> and while I'm talking to Vince Vaughn, everything I'm about to say is a true story, okay? While I'm talking to Vince Vaughn, um, somebody puts their arm on me and says, hey, do you want to meet Hawkeye? And I was like, what? <laughs> is this real life? What? When does that ever happen? So I, I'm like, yes, I do. So I wrap it up with Vince, and I go over to this other private little area where people are just hanging. So this is not like a signing line. This is just – this is like a, mingle, uh-huh. a meet and greet. And sure enough, there's Jeremy Renner. What? And at that time, Arrival had just come out, the movie, and I oh, love man. that movie. That movie's so, fantastic. He was like, hey, I'm Jeremy. Nice to meet you. I was like, I'm Kyle. Oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I started fanboying a little bit. Sure. And I was talking to him, but I couldn't see anything else behind him. And mid-conversation with Jeremy Renner with Hawkeye, I kid you not, <laughs> Hawkeye put his arm around <laughs> me and says, do you want to meet Captain America? <laughs> oh, my god! And I'm like, what are you kidding no me? And sure enough, he walks me back there. No, and there's way. Chris Evans. Yes, there's Chris Evans. So I have met Hawkeye and Captain America. By the time I got to Chris Evans, I was so fanboying though that I hardly even remember. I was just like, dude, I'm such a big fan, and oh my gosh, it's so cool to meet you. I had given up all cool, right. co- you know, any cool factor at that point. But what a story <laughs> is that? So I have met Hawkeye and Captain America. Kyle, have we gone this long without you telling me this story? I don't know. It makes me a little mad that I haven't brought it up. But you just said the Hawkeye thing, and that got me thinking about it. And this episode has nothing to do with either of those. So either way, <laughs> I just felt like it was appropriate to share. Isn't that crazy? Man. I mean, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime type type deal. That is that is very crazy. I'm super jealous. Um, but that's not the Chris for today, Kyle. <laughs> it's Robbie's <laughs> moment with Thor Dark World, baby. Um, Robbie, I have to tell you this. I've been waiting for three days to tell you this. Oh, okay. I enjoyed Thor the Dark World oh, yes. a lot. Yes. I enjoyed it I so it. much, I knew Robbie. It. I knew it. I don't know what it was. I liked it. I don't even want to tell you what my first score of this movie was. For all these years, it was so bad. You would, be, you would think that I, I hate this movie. <laughs> And I again got in the right mindset. I don't know what it was. And I, I put this the on. The magic of the rewatch, man. I, it's working on me. It's working. <laughs> I want so badly Dude, to go I to, really I want to go to past it. Kyle and just rub his nose in this. I know. <laughs> he would be like, he would call future Kyle an idiot. Um, here's the deal. I, I still am not going to rank it super high, Sure, but coming from what it came from in my mind, it was almost like a throwaway movie. Like don't even turn it on. Right. And now I just, I really enjoyed it. In fact, I think I like it so much. I would put it ahead of some others that you should never put it ahead, but I just can't do that because I I think that's that personal bias seeping in too much just because I like Thor. But yeah. I will say this rewatch order has given me a new appreciation for Thor. I always used to have to have to give the disclaimer of I love Thor like Age of Ultron and later Thor. Sure. I don't like pre those movies Thor. Sure. And now I really have an appreciation for just Thor in general. And I don't know 
I mean, this movie's not great. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I don't know why it got such a bad rap, including from me. So I am really excited to dive into it with you because I know it's been a running joke and all this stuff, but <laughs> it's not terrible. It's not. It's not. And I do think that, you know, our very first episode talking about Endgame, we talked about how much I think that movie sort of reinvigorated this one. And I think reinvigorated Thor's storyline all along the way. And so I think that might be part of what you're feeling. But let's just get into it. Let's start talking about it. Okay. Thor The Dark World was released in 2013. Uh, It was preceded by Iron Man 3, followed by Captain America The Winter Soldier and Release Order. This movie was directed by Alan Taylor. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, He's famous more for his TV directing than for his film direction. Um, Most prominently, he directed some of the early episodes of Mad Men and some of the early episodes of Game of Thrones, the latter of which you, you certainly see him channeling here. Hmm. Um, this movie, interestingly, is written by, again, Christopher Marcus and Steve McFeely. And Kyle, I've got to stop here for a second because I had sort of a revelation as I was coming into this. I mean, it, it's not anything super groundbreaking, but... you know, Well, then it's not a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please share. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, I mean... Obviously, I've been aware of this for some time, but kind of thinking back to the Captain America episode, I'm realizing that for better or for worse, I just love these guys' writing style. It really connects with me. It always has. I've always kind of been the guy that as much as I think that Guardians and Thor Ragnarok are probably the objectively funniest movies in the MCU, and I'm not going to argue that, I always have really liked the kind of banter that they write. Like I, some of the scenes in Civil War that they write really make me laugh out loud, and the same with Infinity War. And I think that while it's, it's certainly not to that level in this film, you get a little bit of it, and it's just I really like the movies that they write. And this is a movie they write. And I like it. You're not crazy. I like him too, Rob. It's all right. Yeah, and and that's actually one of my big what works for this movie, or at least different variations of that are are what I think work really well. Like, I just really, I think the dialogue is both pretty funny at times, and I think we get some really good lines, particularly from Loki in this movie. Um, I think that... I, I didn't really look back on it that way until this later rewatch. And maybe, again, it, it is sort of something to do with um, a post-Avengers mindset. But, like, there are some lines here that just crack me up. Like, whenever the, the jailbreak is going on, the one guy yells, like, it's as if they resent being in prison, <laughs> which I think, is, <laughs> I think is funny. I think whenever Thor and Jane are walking through the cave uh, right before they're about to get transported back, you you hear Thor like mutter, why are there so many shoes in here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I think just a little thing, it's such a different style of humor from Thor Ragnarok. And again, I would not say it's at all as funny as Thor Ragnarok, but I think that it's much funnier to me than the first Thor movie. And just the, the dialogue, I, I think that's the biggest thing for me here in general. The writing makes everything feel way more settled in to where like even though there are massive issues that we'll get to, I feel like the issue that I think was the biggest distraction for me in Thor was that things just didn't feel like they totally clicked, particularly with uh, Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman's chemistry, which isn't totally fixed here, but even just like all, all of the character interactions, they just felt a little bit wonky. And that is a problem I don't think is is present here nearly as much. What do you think? It's funny because I think for a lot of people, Ragnarok felt like such a left turn humor wise, but really, yeah, you're right. These first two movies, but especially this one have a lot of bits of humor in it that make Ragnarok not feel so out of place. Right. So that's my response to the humor. The Loki thing I want to touch on too. I just think it's noteworthy to appreciate how much his character has grown since the first one. Yeah. I didn't fully appreciate that in the past, but from the first movie, Tom Hiddleston a little overacts it, yeah. and the character's motivations are a little bit questionable. Yeah, but through the whole context of the Avengers and now this movie, it's a lot more of a developed Loki by this point. Right, and I appreciate that. I mean, I'll say, I think Loki is the best thing about this movie. I think this is my favorite version of Loki. Whereas I think Thor is stronger in Ragnarok forward. 
and I think you'll probably disagree with this. I actually think this is Loki at his best. He's evil and he's wily and he's angry and he's sort of crazy. And I just think it's it's exactly what I want from him. Yeah, I, I remember him being just kind of mischievous in the past. That's how I viewed it. These last two movies, I get more of an appreciation for his just sheer darkness. A subtle scene that I love is that shot of him when he's just putting on the mirage and then you see the real Loki and he's super depressed about his mom. Yeah. The way he plays his emotions with his parents, there's a lot of layers to it and I really like it. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I mean, it's the first scene and it's why I really like having this movie right after the Avengers is because, I mean, one of the last things you see is Thor leading him away in chains and then after the prologue here, you see him walking into the throne room in chains. And I love that conversation with Odin and that line at the end. It's not that I don't enjoy our little talks. It's just that I don't enjoy them, actually. And I, I think like that's the kind of writing that I really like from these guys and that I really, I, I like seeing that version of Loki. And it, it is very much, they did a great job of kind of continuing the version of him that we got in Avengers rather than the version of him that we got in Thor. But my thing is, like, I, I think it sort of goes back to some things that we said with Cap. Right where I think we talked about how even if even if um, Captain America: The First Avenger isn't your favorite version of Cap, I think that the later versions don't make as much sense if you don't have that kind of classic iteration. I think similarly, you know, we always talk about me liking the quintessential versions of characters, but I think that while it's kind of fun seeing Thor and Loki come to terms with whatever their relationship is by the end of Ragnarok. I don't think that that works as well if you don't get him being kind of full-on, just totally unpredictable and crazy and evil Loki here. Because I, I wasn't a huge fan, especially on the rewatch, of really what the first movie did with his character. And I'm, this is controversial because Loki is, is often seen as one of the best part of the Avengers film, and I think that that's fair. But I actually like Loki here more than in the Avengers. I think that he's a little bit better written, and I think he's it's better acted. And I just, I, I it resonates more with me for whatever reason. Okay, so moving on, one thing I really enjoyed, because I always bring this up, were the visuals. Yeah. The visuals are significantly upgraded from Thor 1, oh, oh, in my opinion. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Asgard, in general, is a way less like shiny version of it. True. It is a more realistic-looking version. But I was just kind of blown away in general by a lot of the action sequences, the fighting. It all looks way better than Thor 1. Right. And I, I kind of want to draw a line right here from this movie going forward because I feel like every movie about made from this point on has solved a lot of the visual complaints I have. I think that's right. So anyways, most of the visuals that I'm going to comment on from now on are just a higher level to me than the first few movies. And maybe that's just because they're not quite as dated, and that's all. But right. the action sequences are really cool, and you get some like landscape far away shots that are really cool that we haven't seen yeah. before. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because I know that one of the complaints of this movie has actually been the the visuals not in that they they look cheesy but that it's just kind of too gritty um which i disagree with i mean i think people fault fault alan taylor for bringing in a little bit too much of season one season two game of thrones vibes but i kind of like that we see asgard beyond just the palace and another thing that i like is well, it's definitely, it may not be too gritty in my opinion, but it is definitely a stark contrast from Thor 1. Right. So I can see why it's so different. Right. But I think I just prefer this. I think I do too. I think I do too. I also prefer the costume design here. I think that it, for whatever reason, I mean, they're similar costumes, yeah. but I feel like in Thor, they stood out as being kind of ridiculous and here I never had that thought watching it all it feels like it fits even in the context of earth whenever you have Thor and Malekith in their final battle I think everything just there's nothing that's that's visually striking in a bad way so another thing that I thought this movie did a lot better than Thor one is they kind of fixed the team dynamic thing I was complaining about yeah I know they changed out one of the actors um, but yeah. in general, it's a lot more uh, natural feeling. There's more chemistry between all of them. And I appreciate Thor's team's roles 
better in this movie than the first one. Part of that to me, I think it's just Chris Hemsworth is much better in this movie than he was in either of the previous films, which again, I know is kind of controversial because most people would rank Avengers far above this. But I don't know, Kyle, it's funny because I know that Chris Hemsworth has gone on record saying that this is his least favorite film he's been in in the Marvel Universe. And so you would expect him to have kind of phoned in his performance. And I really don't get that. I think that he does a great job here. And Hemsworth's progression has been very uh, linear so far for me. It's a step-by-step thing. And I agree with you. Yeah. His least clicked in role was Thor one. Totally. He took a step up in Avengers and this feels like a step up too. Yeah. And then I think we're going to get an even better step up oh. in Ultron and then Ragnarok. Oh, absolutely. And then ultimately yeah. the highest acting is those last two movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, from, especially from age of Ultron, it's each movie is, is a leap ahead. Right. So I agree with you. It does feel more natural than his past things. And there, Although Avengers is a better movie, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. he yeah, he feels more natural. There are just some, also the fanboy in me, there are just some very cool Thor moments here. And I'm not sure I really got the kind of Thor moments that I wanted, especially not in the first Thor. We definitely got some in Avengers. But, but you know, here it's like, you know the scene uh, where he, he they hear that the prison breakout is happening yes, and he jumps off the balcony and catches me on there. That's what I was going to point out. Oh, it's so cool. And he flies. Yep. Yeah. I love it so much. I, I love the the opening battle in Vanaheim. I think he's really, it's really fun there kind of seeing him full out battle mode kind of in the fantasy context. I feel like that's, yes. that's what they were going for in the frost giant battle at the beginning of Thor one. Right. And I don't think that it worked nearly as well there. Some of his lightning strikes are so cool, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought a really fun practical thing with Thor was, I thought it's kind of fun to see the hammer going all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a funny thing, because you never put together how is it actually getting places. Yeah. No, I I like that. Speaking of the hammer, another one of the things that I think worked here is that this movie works well as a post-Avengers kind of dealing with the fallout of the Avengers now being a thing movie. And yes. I think, you know, we'll, we'll really get that here and then we'll get that in a very different way in Iron Man 3 a few movies from now. But I like that. You know, we've talked a lot about how I think it's important for the events here to have consequences. And I like yes. that by the time people are seeing Thor fighting in London, he's he's a celebrity. Everybody knows who Thor is. And that line where Jane's trying to get the kids to leave and he's like, that's Thor out there. He's waving his hammer around and everything. <laughs> It's like, that's what it would be like, I I feel. I mean, you know, to the degree that they're kind of playing within these rules, I think that that's what would happen if you saw a superhero. The events of New York end up having massive consequences going forward, and I kind of like how Phase 2, a lot of the movies deal with that. And then to comment on how it feels real, I agree. That's one of my favorite things about some of these movies is when you sit back and you think, if the Avengers were real, what are things that would happen? How would this feel? What would this be like? I had this conversation with a friend in the car the other day. Like if you literally had an Iron Man suit, for example, right? would the government try to take it away? They can't just have someone flying around that has that ability, right? Right. It makes sense. And with this stuff, I like it. Like if you just saw Thor on top of a building shooting lightning in New York, and now he's just walking around in town, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's Thor. Can I get a picture? Like, so I agree. I do enjoy that kind of stuff. And speaking of the aftermath, I also really like where they took Selvig's character after he's had his mind taken over by Loki in the Mind Stone. Like, I I like- Interesting. I like that he is, I mean, this is maybe up for debate, I didn't know how to feel about that. I was a fan. I was a fan. I think that it makes sense. I mean, he he's not like but what Hawkeye. About Hawkeye. No, but he's not like Hawkeye because Hawkeye is this he's a soldier. I feel like as a shield agent, you have to probably go through all sorts of training to kind of deal with traumatic instances like that that a physicist mm. would not have. I mean, he's not yeah. he's not going to be prepared to deal with the yeah, aftermath right. of of an Asgardian god mind invasion. Right. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I I was just kind of neutral on it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Speaking of character growth, though, one of my favorite things about this movie is that we get to see a somewhat of a flawed Odin. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. So, yeah. Odin is a character in Thor 1. He's a god. He's untouchable. He knows it. And we see very little vulnerability from him. Right. I like that you start to see this um, this jaded version of Odin who is overcompensating and ultimately making poor decisions yeah. because he can't see past his own emotions. And I like that because you start getting a vibe of where Thor gets it from a little yes, bit. Yes, no, and yeah. And you start to see why Loki has a point with some of his stuff. Yeah. Because Loki constantly says, like, he attacked New York just like Odin does with any other planet and all this stuff. And you start to see this glimpse of, like, I think he's wrong, but he's not 100% wrong. Odin's not flawless. Right. And so I like the the growth we get actually from Thor and Loki just because we start to see these chinks in Odin's armor. No, I mean, I I like that for two reasons moving forward. One, I think that Odin's reaction to Frigga's death is going to be very similar to Thor's reaction to to being defeated by Thanos in in the way that he, Ooh, you know what I mean? Ooh, that's deep. Like, I think you see Sets some foreshadowing there. Trajectory. Yeah, I mean, they, they respond in very similar ways where that you, you act very rashly and very aggressively. And I think the second thing that I like about that is, well, and hold on on the aggressiveness, yeah. like when when he says, "What are they going to do if if Malekith sends the whole army?" And he's like, "Then every drop of Asgardian blood will be you know spilled or whatever." Blah, blah blah. He says something like that, and it's the same kind of Thor, like way too aggressive type stuff. Well, no, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny, right? Because I, I think Thor, Thor's arc is so complex and so great because he's still at this point in kind of this more enlightened place that he came to at the end of the first Thor movie. And I think gradually, in some ways, he's going to regress and then kind of progress beyond even even where he was originally. But so Thor is telling Odin, how does that make you any different from Malekith? And Odin's response is, <laughs> well, the difference is I will win. Oh, it's Thor right there. It That's is. early Thor. It is. Yeah. It's like, like, how similar is that conversation to the conversation that you'll later get Rocket. between Rocket and Thor and in Infinity War. Yes, Rocket and Thor. Isn't that well, great? We're having revelations together <laughs> at the same time. I love it so much. The second thing that I like about about seeing that side of Odin is it just it it barely paves the way for one of the big points in Ragnarok, which is that Asgard is not innocent. Ooh, like Hela says. Yeah, I mean. I think because I, I think one of the big themes right. and we'll they're talk not, about that later. They're not like angelic beings that just know all at all times. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point, Loki in some ways is just being more honest about what Asgard has been. Right. Ironically, Thor is the one that's kind of talking them both off a ledge a little bit. Like when he even talks about how Loki treats humans so differently. Right. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's funny because we get that line at the end from Thor where he says, Loki, for all his grave and balance, understood rule as I never will. Yes. I don't know. Guys, there's so much in this movie that I think, because even that line, Kyle, so much of Thor's story from Ragnarok onward is him not understanding rule and not really being in a position to lead. I mean, it, which is why he, he winds up making the decision he does at the end of Endgame. And I just, right. I think that there's just a lot, oh, there's a lot here. And I think that maybe that's because you have the same writers as those later films where they were very aware of what they'd done with the character and they were kind of honoring that. But I feel like there are a lot of seeds planted here. Mm, no doubt. And I didn't realize that until I just rewatched it. So yeah, I'm with you. It, 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 it made a massive jump in my book. Uh -oh. Dude, how dope is the Heimdall takedown scene of the Dark Elf Oh, ship? that's great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah, that's dope. Oh, I love it. I, I love the dynamic of him and Thor in all of this. I love the dynamic of them at like the restaurant where they're Thor is telling him Odin's, um, you know, whatever rage is blinding him yeah. from making the correct decision. And then that Heimdall then turns himself in because he still feels the need that he has to. I just, I don't know. I like that dynamic between the three of them. I feel like 
I was watching this with my wife last night and I turned to her as we were getting to this point in the movie and I told her that I think from that moment on, Thor The Dark World is actually one of the stronger Marvel movies. Okay. And she kind of dutifully, she, she was dutifully like, oh yeah, totally. And then went back to what she was doing and not paying attention at all to this movie that she doesn't care about. <laughs> um, but... Uh, easy on the hype train. Easy, easy. <laughs> okay, easy, listen, listen. When, when you hear my ranking on this movie, it is very, very reasonable. I'm not out to, to raise any eyebrows. All I'm saying is I think that there is a, a, at least a slice, if not the whole thing, but basically the entire sequence of them breaking Loki out and leaving Asgard and going to do the, the exchange with Malekith, I think it's a really, really well done sequence and those are my favorite Loki Thor scenes that we ever get. Some of my favorite lines are in that section. And I just think it's I think it's really fun. And, and I, I think it starts in that scene that you were talking about where they're kind of laying out the plan and you see them also going through all of the steps. Right. Uh no I, I think it's good for sure. I have hey one more thing that worked. I, well I have one hold on I have a massive thing I ha- I want to share first in case you're about to say okay, it. Okay, okay. The audience knows they've heard me complain about deaths a lot. That's what I was about to say. Yes. Dude, we're on the same page with this. This is weird. I swear, people, we don't talk about this ahead of time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just to give his mother a massive death with a huge funeral with incredible score to accompany it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Marvel, for giving me a death. This, you know, we're what? Movie eight. And I really haven't felt one like I felt this one. Yeah. So I just really appreciated it. I need more of this in these movies. Yeah. But, you know, this is a death that proves to be even more significant in the future. So, oh, totally. And Kyle, I really enjoyed that. How, I don't know about you, but that moment of, of, of Thor getting there just too late. Brutal. Oh, man. It's like, I mean, he gets there just, to, he still is able to, to hit Malekith like full on with a lightning blast, but it's just like he, it, it, yes. man, it kind of, it's such a cool thing to include, by the way. I didn't notice it burns his face. Yeah. Which is dope. Yeah. Kyle, it's this, it's this, oh my gosh, it's the same thing that happens with Thanos. Dude, you're kind of right. Right? He gets there a little late. Yeah. Man, I just, I, I love, I said that I think Loki is the best part of this movie, which I'll stand by, but I think the second best part of this is, what Frigga's death means for Thor moving forward and how from here on out, his story is a tragedy. Right, and that healing he gets with her in Endgame is like the driving force to him getting back on track. Yeah. Ugh. It is a tragedy from this point on. It's it's It goes horribly wrong. <laughs> right, which is so, it's funny to say that because Ragnarok is arguably the funniest Marvel movie, but I still think that right the movie itself is funny but the character growth is ultimately a tragedy yeah yeah also just because we've brought this up in a lot of other episodes and we are musicians i just got to give a quick shout out to the music here i think this is the best thor music we get at least so far and we've talked a lot about how up until certain points we haven't had massive themes that are memorable yeah which is why we give out our alan Silvestri shout outs because yep. those are amazing but I, I really like what i get here no, I like the theme I get, and I love the death scene and how they bring that theme back up. Yeah. Um, so I just a little quick shout out to the music. I think it is a step up from Thor one, and I enjoy it. I agree. Brian Tyler is sort of the unofficial composer of Phase two, <laughs> uh, because he does this film, Iron Man three, and parts of Avengers: Age of Ultron. And I don't think I've scored anything since. I don't know why, but it's kind of funny because he he really scored the snapshot of the MCU. But I really like what he does here. Yeah, I really like it too. It's funny how these episodes can take a life of their own, Rob. <laughs> like, for example, I just have to point out, like, we just spent, you know, whatever it was, 20 minutes gushing about how much we like this movie. And then we're going to get to the rankings. And ultimately, I'm not going to have it very high on my list. <laughs> and then, like, Captain Marvel, we spent a lot of time complaining about it. And then, spoiler alert, like at the end, Captain Marvel's ranked higher than this movie. I think a lot of the expectation drives the vibe I approach this with. Like this movie, I just remember it being terrible. So I was so pleasantly surprised when it actually exceeded my expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah, well. Whereas Captain Marvel, the longer I sat with it, I had more questions with it. 
and it's still a better movie than this one. Right. But this movie in general just surprised me. And so I think that's why it has such a positive tone so far. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it's interesting too, because while this is generally considered one of the worst, if not the worst Marvel movies, I think (laughs) (laughs) moving forward, almost everything that we'll watch is, is just great. And so I think it's going to make it, it's going to make these rankings interesting is my point because I think after this we have all of the quote unquote bad Marvel movies behind us. Yeah, that's so interesting. In hindsight, the universe got off to a tiny bit of a clunky start at times. Right. And really from this point on we do get a lot just higher quality of a movie, you know, right. movies. Well, and I think to your point with Captain Marvel, I think one of the things that's interesting as we go forward with the MCU is we might down the line get a movie that does for Captain Marvel what Endgame did for Thor Dark World. That's very true and interesting to think about. You know, because I do think... There's a little bit of the Captain Marvel thing. It's not the Captain Marvel episode, (laughs) but there's a little bit of it that she just had one movie. We don't have, yeah, we don't have the luxury of the hindsight yet. Right. Because even Thor 1 is not as good as this one, I think now. I agree. Well, and I think that a lot of what we're pointing out and a lot of what we enjoyed about this movie comes from hindsight. Well, and it's and it's because at this point the movies have been so good from like mid phase 2 on that you the bar has just been raised. Yeah. We expect a better movie. That's true cuz sorry. Sorry, we just expect a better quality movie not than Captain Marvel. I just mean in general our our bar is raised. That's true. That's true. But anyways, I well before we get into the bads, can I just ask you some questions? I wrote side notes. And I just wanted to ask you a few things. Just briefly answer some of my questions for people. Because okay. they may be thinking the same thing. Okay, hit me. Um, <laughs> one of my side notes is not a question after I just set that up. But the <laughs> whenever the Marvel theme starts, I'm like Pavlov's dogs at this point. <laughs> I get so fired up to hear that little intro theme and the, the comic strip thing scrolling through. I'm as excited. Like, it just hey, gets me Well, no, it's so funny much. that you say that, actually. Because uh, this is the first film where that shows up. No, they did it in Avengers, I think. No, I think Brian Tyler wrote that little Marvel flip score. That's cool. I love it. Yeah, I do too. Okay, so some side notes. Sorry, I got distracted there. Yeah, no, no, you're good. Um, What is the deal with the Bifrost? Did it just get rebuilt and that's the expectation? I think that's the understanding. I think that it that it's been... Why is that not addressed more? Yeah, that's a good point. That's something that I... It's I, such a big deal in the first movie that you're not going to be able to travel. Isn't that interesting, And in the very too? next movie, we're just seeing them travel all the time. I don't... I, I'm. What am I missing? Yeah. And they. I know in the Avengers, they say the dark uh, the dark magic thing, which is cool. Yeah. But now they're just they're just going back on the Bifrost. Which is weird, actually, because I, I think... I had always thought, oh, well, they've had enough time to rebuild it. But no, because we're seeing Loki come right back from Earth here. <laughs> yes. When did they do it? Right. Yeah. So that's a plot hole, I think. That's not even a plot question. Another just really practical question. This is so dumb. But how long have the dark elves been asleep? <laughs> how long how long are we led to believe? Uh 5,000 years, I think is the How this is what I can't get my mind around. How is their technology still so good if they've been sleeping for 5,000 years? <laughs> so we're led to believe that Asgard hasn't developed anything new in 5,000 years? How is their cloaking still so good? 5,000 years later and their weaponry. That's a good question. Did you think about that? It's so random. It's 5,000 years. You know what I thought about that was even... I was, They wake up and they're instantly dominant. What? I had a more basic question, which was just, why did they wake up? Yeah, because the ether's been summoned and touched again. Right, and I but think what? they just sense it. But why? I, 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 <laughs> why is Gamora? <laughs> um, okay, explain to me really briefly... The ether and the reality stone. When does it get turned into a stone? How is it a stone instead of a sludge? Why is it the only one that's a sludge? Explain it to me. I'm asking. I don't know. Okay. So I I actually kind of compiled the lines that we get about the ether. I think the idea here is just that in the same way that the space stone is housed within the Tesseract and you see Thanos and Infinity War crush the Tesseract and pull the, the gem out, I think it's the same situation with the ether in some way. I mean, we don't see that that scene happen in Infinity War, probably because I don't know how they would have gone about making that look natural. But yeah. I think it was a, it's a little confusing to me because 
they didn't do much to make the the ether act here like the reality stone will act in Infinity War. I would have liked to see a little bit more continuity there. But I do think mm-hmm. the idea is that in the same way that you see reality altered in Infinity War, that Malekith is trying to use it to kind of eradicate light, which I guess would be altering reality. I think they focus a lot on it as a force of destruction and power, which feels a little bit too similar to the Power Stone that we're going to be introduced to next episode. But I think that... Right, the version we get of it with Thanos is cooler to me. I think so too. That you you alter reality, that stuff. Does that answer your question though? It does. It's a little bit of a, okay, that's a little bit of a stretch. Just that that one's a little bit different. I think one of the things that's frustrating to me is with Avengers and with the Space Stone and what we find out is the Mind Stone, they had to do a, a little bit of retconning to make those into Infinity Stones. It's frustrating because by the time we get to Thor The Dark World, we knew, I mean, Kevin Feige knew that they were moving towards Infinity War, and I would have liked to have seen them have a little bit more continuity here or maybe try a little right. bit harder to to sort of paint each stone as distinctive. I think a great example of that is Doctor Strange, which I think is is really the one movie where it's like, okay, this is what this this stone is. This is what it does. These are kind of the rules. You know what I mean? I, I think other than yeah, that, right. we it's they're all very vaguely powerful. Right. And so then my last side note, then we get into what didn't work, is Asgard is so powerful and strong and they kind of are painted as these divine creatures above everyone else. Why would somebody that smart give the reality stone to the collector? (laughs) I mean, the guy is obviously anyone with any kind of street smarts. He's a weirdo. That's maybe not the best place to host it. <laughs> I just, come on, like give it to somebody else. Yeah, There's got to be a different planet that's a little more worthy than the collector. That's a good point. I mean, I guess maybe. It's such a stretch. I mean, I don't know though. I, I, we don't know kind of what the reputation is. Uh, I mean, maybe. He's a weirdo. Well, sure. That's all you need to sure, know. Sure, but I feel like maybe the understanding is that he is some sort of intergalactic you know, yeah, vault blah, keeper, blah, 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 banker. Blah, 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 I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Boogly, 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 <laughs> like guardians. No, because they walk in there and they feel weird. So they feel what I feel. Well, no, I mean, they feel weird, but still maybe it's known as just being a safe place to, sure. to house valuable things. I would say, I mean, maybe sure. maybe Thor would have thought to put it on on Earth, you know, under the protection of the Avengers or something, but... Probably anyone but the collector at this point, but yes, I agree. <laughs> okay, what doesn't work? I have to start with what doesn't work 101. Okay. They break the massive rule. The villains we've talked about a million times. I'm not going to beat this to death, but is this the worst villain? Is this the least amount of motivation we get for a villain? I mean, the guy literally just wants to end the entire universe. <laughs> it's a contender for sure. I, <laughs> it's a contender. I, I was I was thinking a lot about this and and. I can't decide if Malekith or Whiplash is the worst villain, <laughs> but I think I'm going to give it to Malekith. I think he is the weakest MCU villain. We might need to post that as a poll on social media. <laughs> worst villain and give him four options with those two being the, the head candidates. <laughs> the only thing I can resonate with is maybe just by bringing it into darkness, he feels more comfortable. And that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> killing everybody. I don't know. Is it, would everybody die if they bring into true darkness? Is everyone dead? I would think so. <laughs> then, then what are you doing? Why? I, except for the everything? except for the dark elves, I guess. That's the weird thing. Is is I guess since they're but but the crazy thing is their home. I don't know. I don't know. It's all very confusing. What is their home? Their home is awful. First of all, <laughs> so it all goes into darkness, so they can just sit in the darkness. That's I don't get it. It's it's. Let's not go crazy into this. It's not a good villain. No, but, it's one of the but worst. But I do just want to ask one more question to the minds behind these first two Thor movies. Why is virtually every realm that isn't Asgard or Earth so bleak? <laughs> They're so awful, every one of them. <laughs> like I don't. It's like the the frost giants are just sitting there, really cold, just staring at nothing yes. all the time. And the dark elves' home is just sand that's kind of blowing in the wind, and it's really cloudy right. and just black. <laughs> right. It's really awful. Well, I, and again, I'm fired up to talk about our next movie, but that's what is such a stark change in this viewing order of what Guardians of the Galaxy One does. Oh. All of a sudden, we get all these planets that are teeming with life and culture and actually are a little bit desirable. That's you know true. I mean? That's true. That's a good point. Like, for example, the Nova Corps seem like a very like noble 
planet, that could be maybe where you would decide to drop off the reality stone. Oh, that's true. That's true. But anyways, yes, this movie always paints every other realm as awful. I do want to say briefly as kind of my comic book nerd shout out, it's really unfortunate. Here we go. It's really unfortunate that Malekith was a poor villain here because Malekith is a really fun villain in the comics and arguably Thor's best villain other than than Loki, who is more of like an anti-hero a lot of the time. Uh, in In the comics, the version of Malekith we get is almost like, a Joker type character. Mm. He's he's insane and he's sadistic and he's kind of horrifying. And I think that if we had had, well, certainly a different take on the character, different casting for the character, I would have loved to have seen that. We get a little bit more of that in Hela in the next film. But Ooh, she's great. She's great. But it is just a bummer to me because for anyone that has read him in the comics, and I'll post some some comics that you could read if you want to see what that character can be. It's a real disappointment the way that he's interpreted here. Well, that's one word I would use for it, disappointment, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, one last big picture thing, and then you take this and run with it. Anything else you feel like doesn't work? Yeah. I feel that from this point in phase two until really about the beginning of phase three, Marvel fought an uphill battle against... Why don't these characters call each other? Now I understand they all live in the same universes. So when troubles arise, you have to explain to me why people aren't a phone call away. So you have three options. You can either put them all in the movie together, or you can just give me a comment of why they aren't there, or you can show me why they aren't there. So, for example, this movie kind of kicks that off, and you're going to hear me complain about this in Iron Man 3. Right. The London scenes where they're in London and this, the worlds are about, the galaxy's about to end. Right. Right. A phone call to Tony Stark maybe would help. Right. Or a phone call, like, oh, we're dealing with a bunch of sciencey stuff. Maybe Bruce Banner. Like, maybe we call Tony and Bruce to help with the science part and to fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great like point. Like, you, you're on Earth. There's a phone over there. You know where they are. So that's just a hurdle. Iron Man 3 has this problem. There's a lot of other things that, you know, And even Ant-Man at least gives me a shout out where he says, why don't we call the Avengers? Right. That's all I need. Right. That's all I need. And so this movie kind of starts that for me. And phase two in general struggles with it, I think. Well, and I, and I think it's I think this movie struggles more with it than Iron Man 3. I think there's at least a better case to be made for Iron Man, for Tony being isolated in Iron Man 3. But here, you're right. Thor... He, Once he goes back to Earth, I mean. Right, right. I mean, because the thing is, it's not just that he comes down and the battle's happening, because then you can maybe say, oh, well, he just didn't have time to call anybody. Right, he gets that's down what I mean. And he goes to Jane's apartment, and they're strategizing and stuff. Exactly. You would definitely hey, maybe think, a phone call to Bruce. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. It, yeah, that's a problem. But Marvel becomes aware of it. Totally. And they, whatever they, you know, they pay the money they have to, to make it work going forward after a few movies, because like I said, in Ant-Man, you get the shout out. That's at least aware of it. Right. And then you start getting movies like Thor Ragnarok, where it explains why Hulk is with them. And, uh, Spider-Man homecoming, why Tony's in the movie, right? They start doing it amazingly well. Right. (laughs) But for this little glimpse for a few movies, it's like, okay, I can't buy it. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's always fun to kind of watch, through these different eras that that largely correspond, but not always to the phases, to kind of see, you're right, the different challenges that Marvel was faced with and the ways that they've overcome them. Because I do think that, I mean, one of the I things- I actually think it's probably a challenge they didn't anticipate when they started. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so impressive to me that for the most part, these movies just get better as they go. You know what I mean? Right, like typically- Sequels get worse. Yeah, like that is not a given. Like we kind of treat it as that now because phase three movies were all so great. But generally, you when you look back on major film series, there's right. always kind of reverence for the first and then it always kind of goes downhill. But that is not what's happened here. If you tracked all of our scores at the end of this on like a graph, you would see just a general trend of it going up. Oh, absolutely. I think... I mean, there's obviously standout movies here sure, and there, sure. good or bad. But but I think yeah. the bulk of my top ten is all post Age of Ultron. You know, so it's it, it is impressive in that regard. Um, what else didn't work for you with this movie? Yeah, so I just had one more thing, and I think maybe this is a symptom of the larger issue, which is just that this plot doesn't really make any sense. 
<laughs> just one other <laughs> tiny thing. The plot is total garbage. It really <laughs> is. And I mean, that's the thing is, is everything that I've said that I love about this movie are moments and, and dialogue and kind of bits of character development, which I think are all surprisingly strong. But the reason nobody ever remembers those moments yes. is because oh, the plot yes. of this movie is incomprehensible, Kyle. <laughs> You have done a really good job of making me aware of the differences in these films. Cause you know, this is a movie that people would always bash, but you would always say like, there's some good parts to it. And what I'm realizing is you're correct. Some of these movies, this movie does a better job in a lot of ways with character development and some of the quippy lines and some of the funny parts and some of the action scenes are better than a lot of the other ones. But the plot itself is what people look at and go, yeah, but the, the whole reason we're watching the movie is to hear this story. Right. And the story is garbage. <laughs> like, I, the, even the villain, bro, it's garbage with the villain. And how t- they can stop this crazy cosmic event from happening by just using these little s- right. metal spikes? <laughs> what? <laughs> No, my other... Okay, Kyle, just maybe you can explain this to me. Maybe I... The convergence. Okay, yes. Okay, what is the convergence? And what... <laughs> all, all the universes align. Okay. For one moment, they all align. So here's my issue, is that early on, we have this moment where, where Heimdall is supposed to be setting up for us what the convergence is, right? Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yes. And he tells Thor... You know, this this only happens once every 5,000 years. And there's this line that I cannot for the life of me figure out why it is in the movie where he says, but you, most people won't even notice it unless you, unless you have the, you know, the right way to see it. But it is obviously a very noticeable thing. (laughs) (laughs) There's a giant cosmic riff in the sky. Right. Everything is flying everywhere. And yeah, you you can see through nine dimensions from the middle of London. I don't know what part of that is. Okay, question, question, because I know this this is funny, but (laughs) it's hard to see. (laughs) This is funny, but um, is that because of what Malekith is doing? See, like that's not the typical convergence. I don't know. I think. That's what. That's my question to you. I don't know because what that was an abnormal convergence. But it, what, which is already a very abnormal event. But but what can Malekith do to make that? Is is that with the ether? Because I thought the whole point was that he he needed the convergence to happen oh, so that he could make no the sense. ether. Go, you <laughs> know what I mean? No it sense. just doesn't. But my whole thing is that's fine. I mean, well, it's not fine. It's still bad. But even if it's gonna, if 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 that's the route they're going, I just don't know why. Tell us, oh, you know, it's this like really subtle thing that happens, but it's really beautiful, and then show it being this just cataclysmic, <laughs> nearly world-ending <laughs> event, universe ending, right, right, universe ending. And I just love this idea and, that Heimdall's up can, there, like it can be defeated by a human right. scientist by throwing pegs at people and then twisting a knob, right. What? That's how we stop it? We can separate them? It just cracks me up because I I like the idea that Heimdall is just up there and Asgard looking down like, I'm the only one that can see this. Also, with the convergence, why does it always have to take place on Earth? Right. This cosmic galactic event, it always somehow ends up on Earth. Right. Can't he do that from anywhere else? And also, it's funny that... Of course, I mean, and you know, this is just, again, plot stuff, but not only does it take place on Earth, but of course, of all of the people in the world that could stumble into another dimension and find it's the stone, Jane, it's Jane right. Foster. Oh, Yeah. Right. It's, it's not good. <laughs> Did you feel like Jane took a step back? I think Jane is the only character that's better in Thor 1 than Thor 2. I 100% agree. Yeah. The chemistry between her and Chris Hemsworth got worse. And maybe it's like the quippy dialogue we're talking about that she doesn't fit into. When she's more like trying to figure it out and kind of in awe of these weird things, it's cool. But her trying to be funny doesn't feel as natural for some reason. I don't know why Thor and and Jane's chemistry gets a little worse. Yeah. So this is this is one of those things that I don't know how much this has been blown out of proportion, but for years the the rumor has been that Natalie Portman almost kind of intentionally tanked her performance here. Really? Um, just be, there was a lot of drama around this movie. I think maybe more so than any other Marvel film because 
Natalie Portman was really supportive of the original director for this film, which was Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman. And there was a dispute between Patty Jenkins and Marvel, I think just kind of a creative difference thing, and Alan Taylor was brought on. And the rumor is that Natalie Portman, you know, kind of gave the finger to Marvel from from that point forward, which I, I think is why she was kind of off the the table until very, very recently. But I don't know if yeah, that's the case. A, it's a step back. But I certainly feel if that is the case, then I would say she succeeded. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> hey, so that's about it, Robbie. But I just got to say one last thing. The Loki magic stuff, there is no rules at this point. Whatever. We've talked about in other movies. <laughs> but the cutting off the hand, that he's, it really looked like he lost his hand. Then he can just come back. And, you know, it's just, I, I get it. He's got magic. But set some boundaries, please. Yeah. Um, I actually think storytelling-wise, that magic and them breaking the rules actually ruins a cool moment. Which is the Loki reveal at the very end of the movie where he's sitting in as Odin is supposed to be this really shocking, like, oh, but instead for me, what it does is it makes that character development between Thor and Odin. It doesn't exist because he was actually talking to Loki. I agree. So it kind of ruins that moment. And the reveal is like less a cool reveal and more just like, oh gosh, here we go again. He's still alive. Right. And I think they meant it to be like a, oh, wow. You know, yeah. crazy cliffhanger ending. Instead, I was like, boring. He's still alive. He can't die. Well, and it's it's funny how how that is dealt with pretty quickly in Ragnarok. Like it was set up here as though it was going to be kind of the thing driving the plot in the next film, and it's addressed within the first what fifteen minutes. Because right, so Taika question with TV that is, where is Odin at that moment when he's in the throne? Where's Odin? I I I think Odin at this moment is in that nursing home. Yeah, I guess. So I guess we're meant to believe in that amount of time he already left Asgard. That's just, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's not the cliffhanger I want. That's all. You know, and that's something that we'll talk about again a long way from now, sort of after our technical endgame rewatch, but it's another issue that I have with Far From Home where I, I think some of these reveals where it's someone isn't necessarily who you thought they were, they're cool moments, but I think that they can end up undoing. A lot of, you know what I mean? A lot of whatever you've been given in the scenes prior to that reveal. And it almost makes it feel like those scenes are pointless to me. And I I hate that. Right. I would have much rather had an after the credits scene where we could still have that be a real Odin Thor moment and then find out that later at some other point, Loki has come back. And another, another thing that I just noticed every time I watch this movie, I don't know why they showed... Loki transform into the Asgardian soldier on the planet because then we just know it's coming. Like, wouldn't that, in terms of making a cool reveal, wouldn't the reveal have been much cooler if we had no idea how he got back and then they had to explain to us later? You know what I mean? Instead of them walking us through like we're a toddler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is going to lead us perfectly into ranking the movie then. Yeah, so I, we've already talked about a lot of the things that are big moving forward and that I think a lot of the things that work here work only because of their significance moving forward. But one thing that I think we have to point out is this is the movie that gives us the concept of the Infinity Stones. Yeah, that's interesting. It's the first time we ever hear that phrase. It kicks off really the rest of the MCU in a certain sense. I think it's really funny that the film that introduces the Infinity Stones is the most forgettable film in the Infinity Saga. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. One last interesting tidbit for me, and I want the audience to hear this because I think they'll appreciate it. So Robbie and I did an episode on the Avengers, and I went on for about 10 minutes about how did they not call the military in for help? Like this battle of New York's happening and why don't they scramble the jets? It makes no sense. We get to jet scrambled. But we I know Robbie. Well my, my reveal is to the audience, we talked about this for like 10 minutes, and I totally deemed it as totally not an interesting topic for you to hear. So I cut it out of the Avengers episode. So there's no Jets talk in the Avengers episode. But I thought you'd appreciate that backstory knowing that I wrote down, they scrambled the Jets in this movie. I didn't realize that. But thank you. That's amazing. In Thor Dark World, when they're under attack in London, there are Jets scrambled. They did it. I thought about you whenever I saw that. I feel like they did that just for you, Kyle. 
I thought you would appreciate that because I did cut it out, but <laughs> know that I was passionate about the military being called in. <laughs> there you go. There they are. Okay, so let's rank this movie. All right. I need people to know that originally I had this movie as like a 50. So I'm Man. I'm coming from this is the lowest of the low, yeah. the worst movie in the MCU, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to move it up all the way to a 72. Oh, wow. Which is a massive, massive jump. It is now movie number 21 of 23. It is only ahead of Hulk and Thor 1. It is one point currently behind Captain Marvel just because I don't think I can put it ahead of Captain Marvel. Right. Right. No, Captain so Marvel's a better movie. 72 for me, which I just spent so much time saying things I liked about it, but 72 is an appropriate score, I think. Yeah, I think it is too. It's higher than Rotten Tomatoes gave it. Yeah, true. Um Rotten Tomatoes, by the way, scored this at 67%, I believe, which is... Right, but I noticed that the audience gave it 76. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I'm kind of right in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually think this is the lowest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes, right? I think it's under The Incredible Hulk. Again, other than the stupid audience score from right. Captain uh, Marvel. Oh, right, yes. right, right. Okay, so for me, I, I almost took it to the same place as you, although I gave it a slight bump. So for me... Thor the Dark World has a 73. And part, okay. part of why I did that, and, and, and you're going to fight me on this, is I gave it a slight edge over Iron Man 2. Oh. So, oh. so I have... Can I just say something? It is like a more important movie than Iron Man 2, I think, in a lot of ways. I really debated between these two movies, which one I, I thought was better. And, and even going back to the Whiplash versus Malika thing, because they both have some big issues plot-wise. But I think ultimately, I think this one actually moves the ball forward on some character development. And I think in retrospect, while Iron Man 2 introduces a lot of new concepts and characters that right. that will, you know, just are kind of put into the, the toy box... We don't get a, a ton of actual development in that movie. But the, the the plot and the dialogue is better in Iron Man 2, in my opinion. Justin Hammer's funnier. I still like Tony and his and Tony and Pepper's chemistry. I, did, I, I think it's a little bit better, but obviously I ranked it higher than you in the first place. So I'm not going to fight you on it. It's not like Iron Man 2 is way high <laughs> on my list. So. No, I know. It's a really. But yes, yeah. this movie is more important. Just the plot is total garbage. It in this is. Movie. Yeah, it is. So for me, it I, I keep saying this, I think, because my my list is shifting around, so people are going to be very suspicious of my numbering, I think. But <laughs> right now, again, I have Thor The Dark World as number 20 of 23. So the same as me, but one ahead of Iron Man 2. Correct, yeah. So, I, But I do, I, I think the big things for me is I have it ranked above Iron Man 2 and ranked above the first Thor. So... Me too. Yeah. I don't understand the first Thor being ranked higher other than it was just the first time we'd ever seen that. That's the only reason I can think that you would think that movie is better. Yeah, I, th this I think this is, I, you know, and, and to be fair, I think that movie probably has a more coherent plot. No, it definitely has a more coherent <laughs> plot. But yeah, it does. for me, I think ultimately I would rather feel comfortable with the iteration of the character and the interactions and have a bad plot Interesting. than vice versa. Interesting. I, I really do think Thor is a more well-constructed narrative, but I just, whenever I watch that, I don't feel what yeah. I want to feel from the character yeah, of Thor you or really Loki, feel much. you know? So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, our next rewatch episode. Should we even keep going, though? I mean, we've already sort of reached the pinnacle here, Kyle. No. I just, wanted, I just wanted to get to Dark World. We made it. Ooh, dark elf, scary. Ooh. <laughs> um, I have, I know I say this a lot, so listeners are going to think I'm crazy, but I am as excited as I've ever been to talk about our next episode. <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh. People are going to hear a different version of Kyle next time. Trust me. <laughs> this is next level stuff. <laughs> so next time we are on here, we're talking Guardians of the yeah, Galaxy Volume 1, baby. We're picking up right <laughs> where we wait. left off. In this movie, right, our last scene here is the handing of uh, of an Infinity Stone to the Collector, who we will catch up with again right. with another Infinity Stone with the Guardians. And we are officially more cosmic at this point. Right, right. Guardians of the Galaxy 1 on our rewatch order next time. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> so... Everyone, let us know what your thoughts are on Thor The Dark World. 
It's a uh, it's a polarizing film to say the least. Spoiler alert! I think I know everyone's thoughts already, but yes, I'm excited to hear them. You know, what? I would love I would love someone to contact me and make sense of this plot because Kyle, maybe we just don't understand it. Maybe it's it's much more sophisticated. It's too advanced, it's too for, advanced us. for us. I would love someone to explain the convergence. Nothing and- goes over my head. <laughs> My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it, Robbie. So that's not a problem. That's not, I, but everyone, make sure to subscribe to us, right? Yeah. You can subscribe to us anywhere podcasts are found. It's a big help to us. And we're on social media everywhere. Yeah. The FFW Podcast. And we do really want to make this an interactive thing, right? So you guys are going back through these movies with us. It would be fun to talk about it. We want to hear your thoughts, and we can even address things on the show. So let us know. Absolutely. As always, thank you so much for listening, wherever you're listening. We appreciate you. This has been the Friends from Work podcast. Thanks. See you next week.